Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Katie Wrigley is a transformational coach with a specialty in pain and stress. She came into this niche organically through her own life experience. In her early 40s, Katie finally faced an early childhood trauma that she had tried to run from for her entire life, and that's when her life finally started to transform. Prior to that time, Katie's tendency was to numb, run, and deny, and she was so good at it that she rendered herself disabled by the time she was 42. Staring down a pain-filled path for the rest of her life wasn't sitting well with her, so she hired a wellness coach who helped her open her mind to other ways to heal that didn't include pharmaceuticals, which left her drained and exhausted. Despite a huge amount of resistance, Katie listened to her coach, and within weeks, she had stopped limping. A year later, she was climbing 11,000-foot mountains physically and proverbially. Katie's work with her coach became the basis for her own coaching work. She is the host of the very successful podcast, The Pain Changer, which is very informative and also very funny. You can find Katie at her website at katierigley.com. Katie Wrigley, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you so much, Casey. I'm honored to be here. We've been chatting for a while and I'm so excited to do this. We have. We've been talking for a long time. I'm so glad I got to connect with you and find your show, which I absolutely love. We mentioned it in the introduction. It is very informative. It is very funny. I don't know many podcasts that I've learned about, you know, peeing or heard as many um, inappropriate jokes as I've heard on your show. (laughs) And I also learned about skydiving for people who are not good at landing. I, I don't think that's a very good idea to be a skydiver if you're not good at landing. How did that come no. about? Uh, so I, I, I'm saying nothing about anybody else who skydives, just to be clear. But looking back, my own reason was it was one of the ways that I was avoiding myself. And I just kept thinking if I did it enough times, I would finally figure out where the ground was. That wasn't the case. <laughs> so I jumped about 151 times. I think wow. I had... what. Yeah, five or six. And that's actually not a lot of skydives. Actually, people who are breaking records are in the 10,000 jump and more. So wow. 151, you're, you've barely got enough to get down alive. <laughs> like you, you, you're not, it sounds like a lot more than it actually is, but each skydive is only 60 seconds. So you're learning whatever you learn in that skydive in 60 seconds. Wow. Um, wow. But the the big pull for me, other than the fact that it was, I love the feeling of flying. Like I still, every once in a while on a beautiful day, I'll see a Cessna going by and I'll smell like jet fuel and it brings me back to skydiving. I'm like, oh, <laughs> but I value my ability to walk so much more now. It's just a different, different uh, level of, um, what do you call it? Of privilege. Yeah. When you can say, hey, the fact that I walk is actually a privilege. Kind of came close. Oh yeah. Priorities. Right. Let's yeah. walking over skydiving. Wow. Um, but I loved it. And it was, it was funny cause it really helped keep anxiety down cause it just burned off my whole week's worth of anxiety in that first jump. And then the second jump was easier and then third or fourth. And then I would be cruising going into my week in neutral and wow. just not be anxious cause I'd blown it all at the drop zone. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So if anybody would say that they did, they, they were doing skydiving and they were bad at landing, I would just assume that was the very last skydive they ever did. And I'm thinking back, yeah, no. I'm thinking back to the stand-up comedy from Jerry Seinfeld. Do you remember where he talks about like wearing the helmet skydiving? Like if you jump out of that plane with a helmet, the helmet is now wearing you for protection. Yeah. Well, and I totally understand what he's saying. Cause you, you're right. Like that, that is not going to keep you alive. But if you run into someone yeah. in midair, you're going to want to have that helmet. That's yeah. the difference between you passing out and your device. You know, if you have an AAD that goes off on its own or 
dying. Yeah, so totally. I was thinking like too, yeah. like you've got carabiners and ropes everywhere. And if the pack takes a weird turn or something, I'm sure that can be part of it as well. So, okay. Oh, before yeah. we talk about your story, one more question. What was the, like the best experience you ever had skydiving? What was the worst? Oh my gosh. So I had a lot of amazing experiences skydiving. One of my last jumps, there's two that really stand out to me, or actually there, there's three. So uh, one of them, one of the last jumps I did, it's what was called a hybrid. So we had some people on their belly, which was me, and then other people who were chained in and they were standing up. And as soon as they they gather into the ring, you speed up because as soon as they go vertical, it just goes boom, and it, ooh, it was good. Wow. It was so good. There were like eight or nine of us and it was a blast. And also at the beginning of my skydiving career, I went to as my first boogie, that's a big skydiving party. So you jump out of planes all day and then you have a blast at night and sit around the bonfire telling stories. And it's just this amazing experience. And I was on a solo jump and it was a sunset load. And I saw the moon on one side. I saw the sun setting on the other. I saw this group of six underneath me. I was like, oh, cool. And I'm like, oh, I should probably get out of the way. And then I saw people above me too. And I'm like, I've never seen so much on a jump. So the more you jump, the more you see, because it becomes more automatic, the more you do it. Um, and the most significant event though, was a little boy that we got to skydive when he was 12. So he had a brain tumor. Actually, he was 11 when he jumped. Um, he had a brain tumor. And so he, uh, he had wanted to skydive before he left this plane and so my drop zone and I, we pushed for six weeks and we got him into the air legally, keyword, before he was 18 without the Make-A-Wish Foundation. We're the first drop zone to do that. So wow. that was probably the most amazing skydiving experience I'd ever had was watching him jump. He loved it so much. He jumped twice Wow! that day. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing those uh, skydiving stories. It's really remarkable to hear about. Um, you know, knowing your life and knowing your life story, it's kind of interesting that you have partied a lot. You have had lots yeah. of fun and jumped out of lots of planes. And yeah. now you specialize in what we mentioned in the introduction, stress, pain. Like that's yeah. quite the transition. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and, and how those two things all fit with your story? So as I had mentioned before, like I realized in hindsight that skydiving was one of the ways that I was avoiding myself. So, and that was, I did everything big and I still do. I still do things big. It's just on a more manageable scale now. And it's not at the toll of my body, my health, my mental status. It's, it's not at a toll to me anymore where, as it had been before. So I had actually been a cybersecurity pre-sales engineer for six years or not six years, 16 years before I did that. So I was the basically the geek who came in and gave them a reason to buy the product that we wanted them to buy. And I focused on email. That's actually very stressful because I've got to make sure that the appliance or the software was working right. I'm, you know, on sites, like I've been on site with the Secret Service. I've been on site in Australia. I've been on site in Thailand. Like, I got to go all over the world doing that. And that comes with a lot of stress because you are the technical reason that they buy. And so that's, I mean, the, the salesperson is still doing a lot of work. They're responsible for more of the relationship, but in my role, I was responsible for the technical part. And there was a lot of long hours with that. And so I wasn't doing any self-care. 
And I was constantly stressed and then realized like, oh, drugs make me feel better and alcohol makes me feel better and realized in hindsight that I wasn't doing this to have fun and just be a part of things because I always overdid it. If it was just for fun, then, you know, it would have been a cocktail or two with my friends and I wouldn't have kept drinking and forgotten part of the night and all of these other things. So it became clear as my life kept spiraling out of control, like no, no boundaries, no, no, nothing, no self-care, like I said. So there was no regard for me as a human in any of the decisions that I was making. And that's going to lead to a lot of stress when you're looking at everybody else and what they're doing in the world and not paying any attention to yourself, your body's going to feel that it's going to take a toll. And so that started to result in more and more pain. And then the next thing I know, I'm at the doctors three or four times a week. I maxed out my max out of pocket for healthcare for five years. I think there was one year I, I was $100 for max to get out. So I did get six in a row, but there were five years max out of pocket. And I would hit it in January or February. Wow. Yeah. So one, one year was May. One year was May. Um, that was the first year. <laughs> but yeah. And people are like, oh, you see, you get free health care. Like, no, I paid for all my health care in the first two months. Not free. <laughs> Not free. Paying for more than you are. Um, hopefully I'm paying for more than you are. Cause if you're in this condition, whoo, I'm sorry, you're having a rough life right now. Um, and then as I started to do that deeper work, I started to actually include myself in the situation. I'm like, oh my gosh, all of this has been me trying to deny the stress that was in my body, trying to numb the levels of pain that were getting higher and higher and higher. And to a point where my body's like, no, we're done. And I'd had a knee replacement in 2018 because at that point, and I really, a partial would have been better because I still had lots of live knee, but I had this condition called pseudo gout. So I wasn't actually a candidate for a partial. Now with what I know, I would say, no, we're just doing a partial, keep the live knee. Um, but I also know how it turned out. The surgery was technically perfect and I didn't recover. I got stuck in scar tissue. I twice, they, they put me back under, they did something called manipulation under anesthetic and tried to, and then I was on this machine that bent your leg for, I think I was in there for four hours a day. Healing was a full-time job. I was still on disability. I was on disability for five and a half months that year. And I got stuck in scar tissue again. I was still limping and I started to look at my environment. It wasn't healthy to, con or it wasn't conducive to healing. I was in a house with a lot of people who didn't really care too much about me. I, I was a means to an end because again, no boundaries and, you know, I was making a really decent living. So kind of had a flag on me. Of, hey, you could take advantage of this one. And so the people in my house didn't really care so I wasn't getting proper care. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was doing the PT that I was supposed to do, but I just, it was more pain than I could handle. And my mental state just crumbled from there. And then it became very clear over the next few months why I hadn't been able to heal. And so by the time I started working with my wellness coach, which was about five months after my knee replacement, it was from there was like, oh, this was what I was actually running from wow. and started to really face that. And then it just seemed natural to turn around and say, okay, I'm not the only person who's done this. I'm not the only person who has blindly run for myself. Like I was good at it, but 
ran for myself for as long as I did. I know so many other people that that's, I don't think people gave it the college try to the level I did, including jumping out of planes and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But a lot of people have done similar, you know, and I've even realized the extent that I was in my cybersecurity career. That was another way to ignore everything that was going on inside my body. All these things that were just screaming for my attention to deal with that have been sitting there since I had been a little girl. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Thank you for sharing all of that. I definitely want to talk about the link between emotional stress and physical stress and how that manifests. Before we do, I want to go back to the time that you were seeing the doctors and participating fully in the medical system. One of my favorite episodes of your podcast, and like the the second I reached out to you was when I heard your episode that talked about the medical system and why it's not necessarily designed to make people feel better. Can you tell us a little bit more detail about what it was like in the medical system for you? What were they doing? Was anything helping? Like, what was that like? So, uh, that was rough. It, and I want to say not all doctors are like this. I, I I like to say that a lot. The doctor isn't really the problem. It is the structure of our traditional medical system in the United States that is the problem. It is not the fault of the doctors. Agreed. They're doing the best they can yeah, in the system that they have. I just I I always want to be clear because I never want to bash the people who are on the front lines trying to do their best. They're going to make bad decisions sometimes. But again, all this is coming from the confines of the system. So if you've got like if you've got a sore throat or you have a sinus infection or you have COVID, go to your doctor, go get the drugs to go fix it. If that works for you, I now prefer natural remedies for myself, but everybody has their way of doing it. They're there for acute status. They don't know you very well. You're in there for about 15 minutes. In my experience of chronic pain and with literally every other person I have talked to, it is so much more than just what is presenting So initially it was, I was trying to convince them that I hurt because I'm, you know, I'm presenting as a healthy looking woman in my late thirties and early forties, I quote unquote, shouldn't have problems. So uh, for instance, so I was diagnosed with something called hemochromatosis, which only plays into pain because iron is an inflammatory and hemochromatosis is a fancy word for saying you don't metabolize iron, which means my iron stores get very, very high on the regular, or they were getting very high on the regular. And that doctor, when I went in to talk to him, he was like, you don't have hemochromatosis. I'm like, could you just do the genetic testing please and see? He's like, okay, but you don't have it. And just basically like did anything but dismiss me. Three weeks later, I come back and he's like, oh, so tell me about your cycle. Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it painful? I'm like, I have hemochromatosis, don't I? He's like, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm like, Really? And I had it. And then he bled me 20 pints in the first year, which is way too much. It's way too aggressive. Um, And there was a lot of things I figured out. That's when I really started to understand the impact of diet. Because anything I ate, if I ate the wrong things, it had too much iron in there. I didn't know how to eat to eat things that blocked iron. Then it was going to go up and then pain was going to go up with it. And then so it was about three or four years after that, my knees started bothering me. And initially they're like, oh, let's do a cortisone shot. Well, the first cortisone shot, he missed a, yeah, he missed a subchondral cyst under the patella, ruptured it, which gave me pseudogout, which then left me not a candidate for a partial knee replacement. And then I moved in the middle of that. Wasn't great, but I thought all my records were going to come electronically. No, not the case. So 
anybody listening, if you're going to move, make sure you print out all your medical records, bring them with you. Do not trust the system to do it for you. Bring it in hand, show them that you're serious about this and you're paying attention to your health. So then I get out to Colorado and then it's visit after visit to be like, I'm still hurting. I'm still hurting. And then, so it's, oh, let's give you Xanax for the anxiety. Oh, do you have a medical card? Go, is cannabis helping you? Great. Go have more cannabis. Is that helping with pain? Good. Here's an opiate to help with the pain in case that doesn't work because tramadol did crazy things to my head. I don't tolerate Tylenol or NSAIDs or naproxen, nothing, none of the regular NSAIDs and uh, ibuprofen, not ibuprofen, acetaminophen. They all make me sick. Actually, opiates make me sick too. Any kind of synthetic painkiller makes me sick. The only things that I can take are natural painkillers, which really lowers the amount that you have available to you. It's okay. I'm either going to be in pain for the rest of my life or overriding my body's desire to throw this up, which is not healthy because your body's saying, hey, I don't want this. So overriding it with an anti-nausea to keep it in is not necessarily the best idea. But it was doctor after doctor and every single person I talked to, I started again and had to convince them I was in pain because there was too much going against me saying, oh, but you're healthy, you're young, you you know, you're People have a hard time believing, oh, skydiving led to pain. Why'd you keep doing it? Well, because I'm an idiot. Or I was. But <laughs> it's it, and it was really frustrating. Like anyone I went to, it's like, no, they they tell me I was wrong. Or as soon as I felt pain, oh, well, here's an antidepressant. Why you give me an antidepressant? Well, we found that it makes you feel better. Why? And then they give me an antidepressant and then I get nightmares. Like the last time they put me on one the aliens came to kidnap me in the middle of the night. Like that was, it was a very vivid dream. I, I remember it. And I'm like, no more of this. That's horrifying. It, oh, it was, it was, it was like this interactive dream. It was in the basement of my house. And it was like, it was like a scene from, um, oh gosh, I'm blank. A Mel Gibson movie with oh, the aliens. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> totally blanking on the yeah, name right now, but it was about. creepy. It was yeah, I was like that. And I like gasped or something. And suddenly the aliens are like, you can see us. And they surrounded me. And I screamed. And as I screamed, I woke up. Oh, and then I'm in, like in my bed with my heart racing. I'm like, okay, no more antidepressants. These are not working for me. Wow. And what did work was going inward and starting to pay attention to what I needed. And my, even my back is probably the, the piece that's the most damaged. Um, so after the knee replacement, I developed something called complex regional pain syndrome in my right leg, which they've dubbed the suicide disease. Never Google with a pain diagnosis, please. You are like three clicks away from being told that you're going to want to kill yourself with it. And that's, that's terrifying when you are the one that's just been diagnosed with that. And then you read that, it, that is not an empowering move or an empowering message to get. And so my, my back, and this is all from skydiving clearly, uh, six bulging discs. Uh, they bulge in different directions at the top and bottom of my lumbar spine and my sacrum. I have a healed uh, fracture of my T10. I have a bone spur and a herniated disc on my C5, C6, but I'm pretty sure that was a drunken headstand at the drop zone, not, not actually from skydiving. Um, and I got misdiagnosed for years. When I, I had a really bad landing one time and I, and I also we're guessing fractured my facet joint on my L5. Like I can't even keep track of all the diagnoses I've been given at this point. Um, but the little facet joints are the spiny things that feed out your peripheral nerves. We're assuming that I, I fractured it at one point cause it's gone. 
there is just nothing there. The arthritis is so bad in it. And that's what was rubbing against the nerve and giving me that unrelenting pain. So that got, I went in repeatedly and had chiropractors take, just regular chiropractors take x-rays and they're like, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. They finally do an MRI. And the, the PA that gave me the report was like, he should give everybody the worst news all the time because he is so good at it. Like I'm sitting there and I'm having an emotional response, but he was so calm and so supportive. I'm like, why am I responding like this? And I look at the the, <laughs> the MRI report and I'm like, oh, that's not good. That That's not a good report at all. No wonder I'm crying. Like this sucks. But he was so nice about, I'm like, you should give everybody the bad news all the time. You're very good at it. Wow. Um, but that was, gosh. So it took three years of telling them I was in pain until everything was finally getting looked at. Wow. So I, I, I've had 16 MRIs at this point, um, more x-rays than I can count. Wow. So yeah. Wow. And yeah. Why, why are you, why are you still with us? What made you not give up? Because like you mentioned suicide, like to, to go that many routes and to not have any hope, any empowerment, like you said, like what? What, why are you still here? I found that coach and I had already started to work with a life coach. So I made such a mess of myself. I needed not one, but two coaches at the same time. And now I know like, that's just the way people in, that are growth minded do. You've got a coach for everything, which I've got, like, I've got a copywriting coach, a vocal coach, business coach, you know, pain coach, sometimes relationship coach. It's just, if I don't know how to do it, I hire a coach because they teach me. Hire the experts. Uh, yeah. And so so my first coach, Melanie Curtis, and she was actually episode 10 with me and we had comedy as a life skill. She's fantastic at that. So because of her presence alone, and I've told she and Shannon this many times, but that was enough to say there has to be more out here because her reality is so different from mine that there has to be something I'm missing. I have no idea what it is, but there's no way that we could both be on earth like this and I'm miserable and she is enjoying her life. Like something has to give there. And then, so as I was doing all this exploring after the surgery and things weren't working, that's when I reached out to Shannon, who's also her best friend, uh, Shannon Hernandez. So I'd actually interviewed three different coaches at the time. And I just, Shannon just resonated with me the best. And I, I thought she was nuts when I first started talking to her, cause she wanted me to practice forgiveness and she wanted me to start loving my leg. And I'm like, sure. Okay. Yeah. The injections haven't worked. The, uh, they fry the nerve and nerve endings, um, radio frequency ablation that hadn't worked. Nothing had worked as like, but forgiveness. Well, like, why not? Let's just give it a shot. And three weeks later, I stopped limping for the first time in 18 months. I'm like, okay, there was something else out there. Let's keep exploring this because this worked like three weeks of just sitting in there and thinking she was crazy, but listening to what she said. And that gave me more forward momentum than I had had in years. Wow. And it was literally just forgiving others and, and loving your leg. Yep. Yeah, the people who had been in my home who had not had the best intent for me, which I take full ownership of that even happening. I'm not blaming anyone else. I did a lot of work to not blame anyone else. But at the time, I was rip shit pissed at all of them. 
I hate to use the word hate, but I hated them. Like, so, and she had me practicing this forgiveness meditation. And so what I would do is it's so she'd have me picture my heart like a flower and then open it up. And then she'd want me to picture the other people. I was so angry with them at the time. I couldn't even picture their faces. I chose their favorite colors and I pictured their favorite colors. And then as I continue to do this, then I could picture their face. And today I can say that I wish them nothing but love. And I hope that they found joy in life the way that I found joy, because now I understand that their actions towards me, they're in their own realm of suffering. And I have compassion for anybody who's suffering at the level that they are to show up the way that they did back in the day with me and forgiveness for myself too, for the way that I used to show up. I wasn't a good person or in talking to people who knew me then they're like, you were always a good person. Like I was kind of an asshole though. So <laughs> kind of take both in. I always had good intent, but I would get in my own way yeah. and in yeah. other people's ways and lots to jealousy and didn't know how to use this as like, Oh, if I'm jealous, this is actually pointing me to something I want for myself. So what can I make possible for myself doing this? Yeah. Wow. I think taking that responsibility, I've been reflecting on this recently, but taking that responsibility is really tough um, because it's it's on you, but it's also very empowering, like you mentioned earlier. And I think that's really important to remember. For somebody that's listening to all of this and thinking like, okay, Katie, you had a you bum knee and your bad leg and, and just saying to your leg, you love it. That's so woo-woo and fantastical. This is scientific. Like this is proven yeah. science. How would you explain it to somebody who's saying like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is based on any kind of science. You didn't really change anything. Well, and that's, I, I go to other sources, to other experts who are scientists who have shown the proof. Like one of my favorite resources, and it taught me a lot, was this book by Vessel de van der Kolk. I'm going to get his name mixed up. The Body Keeps Score. Yeah. And it is this whole book on how trauma stays inside our body. And that we had, and so that was what Shannon had introduced me to. She's like, behind every experience of pain, there's an emotion. I was like, <laughs> bullshit. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. You know, I'm rip shit pissed, but nope. My anger has nothing to do with my pain. Yeah. Wow. They're separate. Yeah. I was determined that they were separate. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're not so separate. And started to work through it and like, oh. And then the first session I did with Bill McKenna, the founder of Cogna Movement, was all around financial scarcity and my back pain went away. Wow. So there is an emotion, and it's not just an emotional component. There can be structural things. There can be um, there can be medical, the, your body may work a little bit differently than someone else's. So it's not just, it's not just all an emotion, you know, and I like to say that pain is in your head and it's real because of what this means, that's an empowering statement to me. I'm not saying that it's fictitious. I'm saying that it, if you can actually say, okay, what is part of my pain? You can stop, pull yourself inward and have a real sit down with yourself, you are going to find elements in there that you are surprised about that are part of your experience of pain. Yeah. Wow. Every time. Wow. And so that anger, that was part of how I couldn't straighten my leg. I was so angry at them. It was like waking up and I wasn't thinking about what do I need to do today? It's like, oh, they wronged me. Like the focus wasn't on me. And so, and then I looked down like, oh, I hate this leg. I hate this leg. Your cells are listening and they've done tons of research around this. I, I forget the, the study, but they've done a double blind study and they have actually done one where cells were in a completely 
different location. And they captured as soon as a human thought about these, and I, I can't remember what they had going through there, but as soon as the human thought about the experiment, it was in a different building, these cells responded differently. And so what we say to ourselves is incredibly important because your cells are listening. You know, I just, I, I love to follow this news outlet called the Good News Network. It's actually like the only place you can get happy news everywhere. Yeah. And they have just been able to prove under microscope that plants breathe. So if a plant can breathe, why is it far-fetched to think that your cells are not all alive in your body and listening to what you say? It's absolutely And you incredible. can see it. Yeah. It is. It's so, and we're, we're just now, science is finally meeting woo. And it's not so left field anymore. Like there's a, a machine. I'm going to mess up the whole name. It's called Meg, but it's a magnetic encephalograph. Oh, I didn't mess it up. Magnetic encephalograph. So instead of an EEG, it's a one that's outside. It can actually detect the energy around your body. So we used to think that auras were, oh, that's left field. That's woo. No, they actually have determined the aura, the body energy around the person. They can pick this up with science now. That's so amazing. Wow, that's so amazing. I'm I'm very fortunate that I get a front row seat to this. My wife deals with people's pain and she does so by treating myofascia tissue. So if I walk two yeah. levels down below me right now, she's working on somebody where she's actually like standing on somebody and their feet. And we're very mindful about the stuff that we keep in the space. We we feel like it's a sacred space. It's where we train our clients, but for us it's really a special space. And so downstairs, the only things we have on the wall a few crystals that we really like. We've got the seven posters of anatomy trains. So people can understand that, yes, your tongue is connected to your toe. And just because you're having pain in your right hip doesn't mean that pain is not originating from your left knee or something. And we mm -hmm. have an emotion wheel. And this emotion wheel has all kinds of different emotions that are all color coded. So people can try to understand what they're feeling and put a word to it that helps them then with their pain relief. You just wouldn't think those two things would belong together. And they absolutely do. And you see yeah. people heal. I've seen it over and over where Bethany will ask somebody like, did something happen in your childhood? Did somebody abuse you? Did somebody say something? And it causes this release, then the tissues release. And then, then you see like the weird things happen. Like they lose a bunch of weight or they, they feel amazing or they're just moving better for the rest of their life. And again, I'm so fortunate that I get to see that all the time. Yeah. And it's, uh, I love that you brought up myofascial work. That's the next thing that I want to try for myself. Cause I haven't, I, I've done a little bit to try to break up some of the scar tissue on my knee. Cause I, I walk fine, but I've got a little bit of limit on my bend on. And the only place that bothers me is yoga, but I'm like, all right, there's something in here that this is stuck thinking about all the things that were going on. I know there's things in there. And I know that when I'm ready to, to sit down with someone and do that work, cause I, it's going to be more than one session. I, just intuitively know this that's been sitting there for a minute, but I've heard from so many people like just having like a little bit of like pushing on the chest area. Suddenly you open up the heart chakra, the throat chakra, all these feelings start coming out. These memories come out and it's like, wow, that was in there. Yep. The body does keep score. There's the most genius name for a book yep. and everything is staying in there, you know, and people think like, but if I keep thinking about it, I'm going to stay in it. You're correct. You keep thinking about it, you're going to stay in it. You go into the feeling. You only have a finite amount of feeling. You feel everything that's in there. It's gone. Yep. The hard part is staying in the feeling because we as humans want to make a story that goes with that.
you know, like, oh, my heart's broken. Well, my spouse did this and they did that. Da, 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 da. And then the longer we stay in the story, the more pissed off we're going to get. But we stop and like, how did that make me feel? That really hurt. Yeah. And you stay in that and you notice that that is where it breaks apart and the story will die with it. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love the work of Michael Singer and he kind of talks about in The Untethered Soul and Living Untethered where we have all these past traumas that are spinning around inside of us and it's only when you give them that attention and really feel them and, you know, be sad. Like, be sad. Like, if you're lonely, like, be lonely. Like, it's okay. It's a passing emotion like a cloud in the sky and it it's, it's going to feel to your ego like you are breaking apart and dissipating and the ego hates it and it will fight to protect yourself and not feel those feelings. And so I love that kind of inner work. What other techniques and things were you learning along the way that were really helping you mainly the 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 stillness and going inward for the answers is the biggest thing how you do it is really up to you so I had done some of that first work it started with just a regular meditation and Shannon is also very well versed in plant medicine and has a lot of background with psychedelics safe ceremonial use of psychedelics And so with her guidance, I started to do some psilocybin ceremonies. And the first thing I noticed was that I wouldn't have any physical pain when I was in that ceremony, which was very noticeable, considering I could never shut it off at that point. That was very noticeable, but I'm like, I can't walk around high all the time. This isn't going to scale. Like I can't be on mushrooms just to not feel. So I started to do a little microdosing and noticed that felt a little better, like, okay, that's low enough level. I can, I can do this. Um, and it's going inward every time. And now that I understand how the subconscious mind works, now I understand why going inward is so effective. So your conscious mind, depending on which set of stats you're looking at, your conscious mind is responsible for 10% or less of everything that is going on right now. We And the only problem with that is we tend to think that what we're aware of is the full truth. That's it. Oh, I'm right. Nope, nothing else here. Nope, nope. I couldn't possibly have any anger in my pain. Nope, it's not in my conscious mind. So when you get into a system, and my favorite way of accessing it is cognitive movement with this ball, that's where you start to get answers. You start to move the energy in the body. You start to get back into the memories. You're connected directly to your subconscious mind. And then you realize, oh, this is this thing was a part of it as well. And this thing was a part of it, you know? So like we were talking earlier, I'm working through some layers of grief right now. And so I actually did a session earlier before we came on and it was, you know, the first part of the session was getting familiar. Okay. This is what you're feeling right now. You have impending loss coming up. You know that this is coming. So, okay. When, when else have you felt that? And it was going back through my life. And the earliest time that I remember being heartbroken was when my cat died when I was seven. And so like, is that getting rid of my heartache now? No, but it's lowered all those extra things that hadn't fully healed are part of my experience of grief today. So when I can let all of those go, it's easier to sit with just the current grief, just the current things that are going on that are demanding to be, have have attention and are demanding to be released. Like I've noticed over the last couple months, like shoulders tend to hold burden. And I've noticed that they're just feeling tighter and tighter and tighter. And I was even noticing like my, my left shoulder was kind of 
folding in protectively around me. And I found some fear of rejection that was in that last week that was coming around to protect my heart. You know, because my business, I'm sharing myself, I'm sharing my heart. That can be scary sometimes. You know, it's and I've made a rule, you know, the reason I'm not saying what I'm grieving about is because it's still fresh. And one of the things that Melanie taught me was you share from the scar, not from the wound. Yeah. I've heard you and say that. So, like that. Yeah. So I'm not going to share that until it's scarred over. And I don't know when that's going to be, but it's easier. I can be here with you without falling apart, without going into hysterics, without losing my shit, because I dealt with all the other things that were in there and I've been dealing with them. And my shoulders since starting to deal with this and face it and say, okay, this isn't going away on its own. Cause I still try to deny, I'll be honest. I, my first impulse when I feel something is no, not again. I don't want to like, I go back into my little girl state. Cause that's what we do. We revert back to our traumatic state when we're faced with something we don't want to do. And I'll let myself have that for a minute or two. And then it's like, all right, start going through this. And so I've been peeling back the layers with my shoulders and I found that there's a lot of grief that's been really weighing on me. And so as I continue to process that out, you know, and it has to do with someone I love dearly, you know, and I've known my entire life and it's, it's tough. And I know this. And so what do I do to counter it? I do more cognitive movement. I do more meditation. I spend more time on my own because that's where the answers are. That's where my body is going to tell me what it needs so that I can have a good day, so that I can be present with my clients, so I can be here with you for this audience to be present. It's taking that time and asking myself and listening with honesty, without judgment, like, what do I need today? Yeah. That's why I like that we call these things a practice. And I think the more that we can recognize that this is a process it's always about the journey. It's never about where you get to. If you got to where you wanted to be right now, you would not appreciate it. You wouldn't care after a while. And it's 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 that going through. And in a way, it's like really daunting. Like, I, I'm still going to be dealing with this in a year, five years, 10 years. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe to some degree. But if you are practicing, you should be getting better and better at this all the time. You might realize that you're suffering less. You don't necessarily have to go out and find things that are, you know, bad about yourself that you need to get rid of. It's just understanding that there is a process and you can allow that process to happen organically and naturally over time. And you're building that skill set that can help you do that for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so it used to be that it would be months, years, decades before I would deal with it. Now it's like, I still have that denial. And, oh, I don't want to, but then it's like, oh, but think about how much better you're going to feel when you process this. Cause now at this point, I've had so much evidence that, oh, when I process it out, I feel better. So if I can just put on my big girl panties and process it, I'm going to feel better. And so that window is much, now it's minutes. It's like, I don't want to deal, but I'm gonna, because I'm going to feel better. That's very well explained. So let's talk about cognitive movement itself. I know very little about this. I find it very interesting. Can you tell us um, I guess maybe we could start more like practically, like you've got a ball makes me want to play yeah. soccer or volleyball or something. It's got cool pictures on it. Uh, what, what, what is that? Like, yeah, tell us about it. All right. So this, uh, in short, it is a way to access the subconscious mind through a feeling in the physical body. So the premise is that your body is expressing for you the emotion that your brain does not want to or can't especially if it's trauma, there's a lot of things in there that you got to be really careful before you start to, to dive your toe in there. And talking about it, staying in the thought is why talk therapy doesn't work for, 
for helping people get out of trauma. Something like EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reprogramming, there's some of that element in cognitive movement that's going to help because you're, again, going into the subconscious mind and the memories. So with cognitive movement specifically, the first thing we do is we feel it in the body. And you want to get really familiar with, and I say it on episodes a lot, like I released um, uh, an episode this week about judgment. And it's like, all right, you guys know what I'm going to do. I want you to focus on your body and feel it. And, you know, and you can you can do this with me now, Casey. If you look down at your body, you can just start to scan and just think about, you know, what are some of the things that are on your mind right now? And it'll come together and you'll be able to identify that I feel some emotion somewhere in my body. So am I feeling physically like sensations of like sitting on the ground or am I feeling more like thoughts and emotions that are coming to me? You want to feel thoughts and emotions coming to you. So the more that you're present with your physical body, like great that you're aware you can feel yourself sitting on the ground, you usually feel it along the center line. So let's say like, is there anything that you're stressed about or maybe anxious about or thinking about right now? Um, always, <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a busy day and I've got uh, clients around the Valley that I have to travel around to today. Okay. got to travel around to clients in the Valley today. Okay. Feel that, feel that pressure or whatever it is you call it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but feel that, that you got a busy day today. You have a lot of things that you have to do. Where do you feel that in your body? Chest. Chest. Okay. So then you start to describe it. Does it feel heavy or light? This feeling heavy. You got so much to do. Heavy. Is it dull or sharp? Mm, dull. Dull. Okay. So if this was a problem state you wanted to clear out, I would have you stay in that. We start to move the ball back and forth. So we're actually doing some crossbody. And this is doing all kinds of cool stuff. So the ball actually, let me start with the design. The ball is actually designed for anybody watching this, not listening. If you're listening, it's going to be hard to see it. Um, so these are actually chakras that are on the call ball, but uh, we call them complex geometric shapes, depending on the setting. So if we're going into a Catholic school, for instance, they don't really talk about chakra systems there. These are going to be complex geometric shapes and the bright colors. So the left side likes the shapes and the colors of your brain. The right side sees and feels that this is 3D. It likes that. So it's actually stimulating both hemispheres of the brain just by looking at the ball. Even you on video, you're actually, you can see that this is a 3D object. And trust me, when I walk around with these balls, people are like, what is that? You know, it, it catches people's eyes because that's exactly what it's meant to do. I really do want to play with it. <laughs> I know. It's, it has that effect. So we start to move it back and forth like this. What we're actually doing is we're going to start to move information between the two hemispheres of the brain. So things that were on the right side get shifted to the left. Things that are left get shifted to the right. This is the only thing that I know outside of a psychedelic state that opens up the mind like that and starts to move things. Like there was a special on Netflix, The Mind Explained, and they showed regular brain function with the right side talking, the left side talking, and every now and again, something may cross, but not often. Just the left side's communicating, the right side's communicating. But then on psychedelics, all things lit up. There's pathways going everywhere. So that's why people trip. That's why people see things and feel things so differently when they're in a psychedelic state. Doesn't matter whether it's recreational or ceremonial, you go on to feel different when you're on psychedelics. What I love about this is you can have that same open-mindedness in the sober state of mind. So that, and to me, it's just, both of them are helpful. This is just the thing that worked for me better than anything. Like I was facing a neurosurgery consult when someone introduced me to cognitive movement. I never had neurosurgery and I'm pain-free. Wow. 
So, and now I know when my body starts squawking to pay attention to it, even if I deny it. So as we're doing this, we're actually going to be shifting the energy. We go low to high. So we're actually shifting it up through the center line of the body. And the eye movements are all going to give us something too. Like when we get about here, we're actually going to start accessing memories. When we get up here, we're going to be starting to go into hope, ideas, inspiration. And then the next component where it is similar to EMDR, where we're doing an infinity. So we're actually going in a sideways eight, very, very slowly. I'm actually going faster than normal. You're going very slowly through this and you're focused on that feeling in the body. And so it starts to connect different events that may be part of it. So for instance, there was someone that um, Liz Larson, she's one of the co-creators of Cogno Movement. She had done a session with a client who had had shoulder pain for most of his life. Well, in the infinity, he found that he's a twin his sister had pushed out on him. He was all ready to go. And she kind of got in front of him and pushed out on his shoulder, leaving the womb. No way his subconscious mind was going to remember that. And he actually realized that had been their dynamic. He constantly let her go first, started in the womb and it continued because that becomes these, these regular patterns. So in order for our bodies to function as effectively as they can, we go into these autopilot programs, these calibrated loops. You do this, I do that. You don't even think about it. You and Bethany probably have calibrated loops all over the place as you're getting dinner ready, as you're doing, she does this, you do that. It's all automatic. You don't need the conscious mind there to do it. It just happens. When you have those loops running from trauma, from some other memory that's not resourceful, it's not the most resourceful loop. That looks like, oh, I want to show up for someone and then you can't do it at the last minute. And then you feel bad about it again. And so it depends on what this cycle is running. And so the way that I have started to, not started, but the way that I like to explain it to my clients is I look through this thing that I call the four areas of impact. And it's just a way to dissect life, to make it easier to figure out what patterns may be running, where you are, uh, where you may need more help. And so the areas are verbal, emotional, mental, physical. Verbal, what are the words coming out of your mouth? If you have an anger pattern running, you're not going to be like, oh, I love you. Have a great day. I mean, no, fuck you. Get out of my face. Like, or you're going to bite someone's head off, you know, like Snoopy's going to go by and you're going to be like, ah, you know, whatever. You know, Snoopy's not a real dog, but you know what I mean? Like, you're just, you're not going to have an appropriate response. That's, oh, may have some anger going. The emotion in there is going to be anger. You're going to be feeling it somewhere in the physical body. It may also be reflected. Like if you're anger eating or going for an anger run and you're like, oh, just feeling it pump up more and more, that's your, you've got some anger going in there. Emotionally, obviously you're feeling anger. It's also going to start to take a toll on your mental state. And so all of those pieces start to come together and you can start to shift that, break apart that pattern, see what's in there, see how familiar it's been and start to shift it, break it apart and then do what you actually want to do instead and react the way that you want to react, respond the way that you want to respond. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. Okay, so so the chakras on the ball itself, is it, it yeah. what is the significance of that? Like if I, if I said that I felt something in my heart chakra, am I looking for the green kind of shape or pattern? They're just there to- They're just there, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. So there's a lot of interesting things that'll happen. So as you're focusing on the feeling in the body, and that's where most of the attention is, 
There is very little that's listening to me. And so I get very, very clear on how someone feels before I start to do a session. And then I'm repeating their words back to them. It does a couple of things. One's backtracking. It's a, it's a technique so that the client feels very, very heard. It's also a way for me to stay fully present without getting into the story. Because if I get into the story with them, well, now I bought into the story. I bought into the conscious mind. And that's not going to be of service. I want to be in the subconscious with them where they can explore and figure out what else is in there. And so that's it. So it doesn't really matter. But what will happen is you'll look at a blue one and you'll say red when you're on to the pattern. So the brain like literally cannot hold on to that physical sensation and interpret the color correctly. And I get excited when I see that because it means that I'm onto the pattern which means that I can change it for them, which means they're going to feel better. Wow. It means I found it. Wow. And that wow. makes, and the first couple of times that it happened to me, I got really frustrated. Like, cause I just look and I'd see red and I'd go blue. Like, no, it's blue. <laughs> red. Okay. Now it's red. And it's, and, but you can tell that. And so like, that's one of, one of the things I'm looking for. It's like, if someone sees it and they stutter, they're like, ah, you know, and I've literally like looked at before and can't even get the color out. Wow. I'm like, and just nothing's coming out. I'm like, oh, I'm onto it. I'm onto it. Wow. And so anything can come up in a session for people. And it's just, it's amazing to see. And so I'm looking at their neurology. It's telling me specific signs. And what's really cool, people don't have to tell me anything they don't want to tell me. You know, like I, I get to see people pretty wide open. A lot of my clients do let me into what's going on, but this works without it. All I have to do is be able to read their neurology, read what I'm seeing and work with what I'm seeing. The story behind it is not nearly as important. As long as they're in the sensation in the physical body and I can read their neurology, that's it. That's all I have to do to be able to work a session. Wow. That's so interesting. Okay, so if you are listening to this podcast and not watching, I um, highly recommend that you go and watch this on YouTube. We'll have the full episode available. I'm also gonna cut that portion of time that we were talking about cognitive therapy. So people, I, I would highly recommend, go back and check that out. It might be like 15 minutes long of, of watching the ball back and forth because it is really cool to see. And I could not have visualized any of that with just a description. So I think the visual there was super, super helpful. I love also that you posted Posted on your page, you going through a session. And it doesn't show the actual session itself. It just kind of shows yeah. the before, it shows kind of some discussion, and then shows a little bit afterwards. And I'm seeing you, what looks like you, twice, but those are two completely different people in that video. Yeah. The transformation was amazing. Yeah, and that was 90 minutes. So that that session was anxiety. I remember I was having I was having a meltdown one morning. Someone had just kind of gotten up in my face about the vaccine and all the heightened emotions with that last year. And they'd really, they'd really gotten to me. And I was already kind of going, oh, I, I got a lot I got to do today. So I was already kind of revved up. And then that happened and I just like melted down. And I'd had a great date the night before. So like I had no reason to wake up all agitated at all, at least not consciously that I was aware of going back to my point that the conscious mind is aware very, very little of what's going on. And yeah, my friend helped me. I was doing a trade with another cognitive movement practitioner who's located in Canada. And yeah, by the end of it, and I and the the other distinction for anyone who sees that video, I didn't actually want the anxiety to completely go away. 
I wanted to keep it. And I think I say that in the video, I wanted to keep it so that it was at a productive level for me. And that's exactly what happened. And I did not have another panic attack for four months and it wasn't anywhere near that. I hadn't, I think I had one other that was at that level and it wasn't until like a year later. And again, it was one of those perfect storm days, but I worked through it in like 20 minutes instead of 90 minutes. So it's just the, so the bouts in between anxiety are much, much bigger. They don't last as long and it's easier to clear out. Yeah. Um, whereas I used to have Klonopin and Xanax as regular prescriptions that I took daily. Wow. And that was, I think the last time I took one of those was 2018. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. No, and I love the way you frame that. We often talk about anxiety as only negative, but anxiety and depression, those things are telling you something. They can be helpful for sure. Um, and I'm wondering, you talked about other lifestyle things that you kind of came to. I know, you know, diet and supplements are super important to you. I know for me personally, yeah. with my anxiety, it's it's very much driven by sugar. I do not consume sugar. I'm completely abstinent. I can say that for the rest of my life, I will not have any measurable amount of sugar. I know that is part of what I have to do. And, and I know that people find a lot of relief with different supplements. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you discovered as far as diet and supplementation? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot. So I want to say there's, there's no silver bullet for anyone. It's finding what is going to work for you. And the supplements that work for me probably aren't all going to work for you. Some of them might, some of them might not. So I, I want to say this with explore what works with you. Try for at least 30 days. If it has a longer time to say to try it, try it for 90 days, but give it enough time that you're actually noticing the feeling in your body. Um, and my supplements change a lot. I actually started working with a, um, a practitioner out of Australia who I had interviewed, Magic Barclay. She's amazing, does the root cause analysis protocol. And so she actually has me on a, a cycle. It's a five-week cycle that repeats, well, every, every, you start off, you take supplements for four weeks and you take a week off and then you take them for three and then you take two off and then you take them for two, you take three off take them for one, take four off, and then you repeat the cycle again. And so what she had said was that it's your way to see, that can your body start to do what you've been supplementing it to do? And so that was a really different approach. Um, so some of the things that have worked for me, anything that's anti-inflammatory is going to help. Turmeric, um, they've actually found that NSAIDs can actually delay your healing by 50%. So if you can start to go to natural remedies, cannabis is a great remedy for pain, but it doesn't come without side effects. It's illegal in a lot of states. Please be conscious of your laws. I'm not recommending you do anything illegal. I may have done a lot myself, but not recommending it. <laughs> um, CBD is amazing for nerve pain. Uh, that was a staple. I actually haven't needed to take it very much. I keep forgetting. I stockpiled it like last year because that's, I was using it so much and I, I forget to take it most days because I don't really need it anymore for the nerve. The nerve damage has healed and I don't really have much nerve pain. So I just keep forgetting, but I, I actually think CBD is a great supplement for anybody. It's going to help calm the neurology. We used to actually get it normally through our meat and then we outlawed cannabis and then the cows stopped eating it. So then we stopped getting CBD in our beef, but we used to actually have it naturally in our diet. You're kidding. I um, never heard that before. Yeah, I, I heard that. It was one of the things that I learned in um, out in Colorado was that like, and so in the 1930s is when we outlawed cannabis, but before then, sometimes the cows would get into a hemp crop. 
This is some happy ass cows. Well, depending on which ones they ate, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's but amazing. They, um, yeah, so they used to when we had a lot of hemp that was growing, they used to just eat some of the hemp. It's cheaper than hay. It's easier. It grows faster, and they can farm it over and over again. Wow. And so it was that was we actually used to get it naturally in our food the same way we used to get copper from in our diet was from the soil. There's no more copper in the yeah, soil. Magnesium. I mean, any of those nutrients for sure. Yeah. And so like copper is one I can't take because I, because of hemochromatosis, I, irons just bind to me like crazy, but zeolite, if you are someone who has a problem with heavy metals, zeolite is amazing for getting those down. And my last blood test, normally the way my body goes is every three months, I've got to give blood. Well, this last time I didn't have to give it. And the only difference was taking zeolite. Wow. If I stick to mostly plants and we've had some interesting conversations, I want to caution people, not all plants are good. So spinach actually has a lot of oxalates in it. Oxalates can actually really hurt you. Same thing with eggplant, same with some nightshades. So notice what you're doing. And if you're going to change anything with diet, change one thing at a time. Because if you suddenly change your diet, change all your supplements and you feel good, how do you know what worked yeah. and what didn't? Yeah. And it's not going to be sustainable to change that much either. So you may want to change everything at once, I encourage you to take what feels like the lowest hanging fruit where you really need a win and start there. I love that. I think that's um, amazing advice. And specifically with oxalate, that is a really difficult one because it, it harms you on the way in, but it can really harm you on the way out. And so if you're not careful about the way that you reduce or eliminate your oxalate content, it can be a horrible dumping issue that you have to go through. And and we've had experts talk about uh, oxalate before, and it's like, maybe it's a good idea to, you know, have oxalate every other day or, you know, have some almonds every other day. And yeah, you're bringing that level down. But if you get rid of it all at once, it can be quite harmful for people. So I think that's wonderful advice. I think we would both agree that probably the, the worst offenders when it comes to mental health and, and physical pain is probably going to be a lot of the refined and processed crap that we find everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, it's almost, <laughs> we were like talking bad about the middle of the store and it's almost like the middle of the store is getting better than what most people are doing, like grub hubbing three meals a day. Like right? <laughs> at least, at least I know if you're going to the middle of the store, you might have to like make something or combine a few things together it's really bad out there and i think ad ad addressing that recognizing that the, the fake foods affect our physical body they affect our mental body is so important yeah. i love the way you approach your supplementation that the way that you approached it i never heard of and i really like that i like to have something in have something out did you notice when you were on it or did you notice anything different when you were off of it and that method of doing supplements would would teach you that and would show you like okay this one's great oh, yeah. love this this one is maybe a waste of money because i didn't really notice whether it was on it or not. Yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. So when I was on my week off of supplements, cause I just did my, now I'm on my three on two off and I'm on right now. I think this is the last week I'm on. I put it on my calendar all the way through August. So I don't have to think about it. And I crashed wow. when I went off. It took a couple days, but yeah, I was, I was tired. Cause I, I'm part of what I'm working on now is, uh, correcting the adrenal fatigue that I had. Um, so that's been, but my body felt crunchier, not taking the supplements. There's a liquid collagen I take from this company called Life Vantage. This stuff is phenomenal. They're, and it's- They're right um, down the street from my house. That's great. Yes, yeah. I'm one of their distributors. Um, I, I love their products. 
Um, they have another one called uh, Protanum, which is NRF2. Uh, and that is basically, that's a pathway you have in your body. It will actually lower the oxidative stress in your bloodstream. Oxidative stress is what ages us. So if you chop an apple, you leave it on the counter, it turns brown, that's oxidative stress. So they can actually find it in the body. This actually helps eliminate it through that NRF2 pathway. So that one is a great one um, as well. Uh, and it's really, I'm just taking the ones that she's told me to take. So I'm taking some that are boosting my immunity because I had a stuck immune system. So I'm taking a turkey tail tincture for that. And then I'm taking Camu Camu, which is the highest level of vitamin C that you can get. Vitamin C is something that traditional medicine would tell me not to take because it's actually going to increase my iron absorption. That's right. But then I'm also taking zeolite, which is lowering my iron absorption so I can actually eat meat sometimes. And that was one of the crazy things, Casey, is I started craving meat like crazy. Wow. About three weeks into the supplements, I could not get enough. I wanted turkey. I wanted beef. I wanted chicken. Wow. I, I had a couple of days where I ate only meat. Wow. And normally that would result in me having to get blood. Getting and sick. I didn't have to. Wow. This last time. That's so interesting. It's, it's, it was fascinating. And I really noticed it. So I, and so DHEA drops are one of the things that I take because DHEA will actually just help open up the horm uh, the hormonal pathways. So, you know, female, female, uh, hormones, plus your thyroid hormones, plus your stress hormones, all of that's affected. Um, and that's, that is actually the adrenal fatigue alone is such a fascinating story. Cause I was diagnosed with that back in 2007. think I corrected it for a while, probably didn't. And when I was introduced to Cognitive Movement, which was just a little over two years ago now, I was drinking a half a gallon of coffee a day just to stay awake. And I was crashing by about two or three in the afternoon. I was exhausted. Awful. I was still taking Lyrica, which was really tiring as well, but stopped the Lyrica. I was still drinking lots of coffee. And what I actually realized was that with cognitive movement, my body had adapted and shifted energy. And so what I was doing two years later, I don't drink coffee anymore because my I'm actually intolerant to it. It just it upsets my stomach. I love the smell. I actually love the taste my body doesn't like it. And so I drink my chai tea and my, uh, I order it for my coach, Shannon. She has amazing chai tea. It actually has oak bark in it as well. So that's how I start my day with coconut milk and then, um, a monk fruit maple syrup. So there's no actual sugar in there. And I'm wide awake all through the day, but what I was, what I found, and it was kind of a mix of, you know, magic chiming in and helping me fill in some of the, the puzzle pieces, so my body had adapted so that I had more energy, but the way that it was doing this was that it would create stress, meaning I would actually go look for stress. I would create extra stress that did not need to be there in my life wow. in order to have the cortisol there, to have the energy to sort through it, and then I would dump it again. Wow. Not desirable, but way better than face palming at three o'clock every day after a half a gallon of coffee and five rounds of snooze and the alarm. Wow. Now I wake up before my alarm. I don't really have that much caffeine and I'm going all day. And so then once I understood that my body was doing that, then I did another cognitive movement session. I said, okay, I don't want to be stressed anymore. The emotions of excitement and anticipation, those wake me up. So I want to be excited. I want to be anticipating things. I want to be looking forward to what's going because that's going to wake me up. 
And so, and it took about six weeks, which is as long as it can take cognitive movement. Sometimes it's instant, sometimes there's some residual. And so this one, I didn't really notice the change for six weeks, but I opted out. It's at a point now, Casey, where if I feel any stress, I'm like, oh, how do we get that out? How do we get that out? What needs, there's no denial, no delay. It's like, oh, ooh, don't want this here. Where, where's the excitement? Where's the anticipation? And I'm, I'm dropping off my DHA drops every day. Cause like I'm at laying wow. in bed at 11 o'clock at night, wide awake. I'm like, okay, we didn't need that much DHEA today. Okay. Good to know. Wow. Good problem to have. <laughs> it is. It is. And yeah, like I forget to take them in the, I don't think I actually need them at noon anymore. Wow. So it'll be interesting to see the next off with supplements, how I do, yeah. but it's, it sounds like it's you might not miss it. Wow. That's amazing. Might not. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something you had said though, about the, the grocery store. And so you oftentimes will hear this, see this packaging, um, like on impossible burgers on plant-based stuff going, Oh, this is better than meat. It's still processed. And soy itself has been tampered with so much that it doesn't necessarily have any of the same health benefits that we knew about in the past. So I just want to make a note there that even if it is a plant-based burger, it is still processed in order to get it into that plant-based burger and your body doesn't like the processing just as much. It's not the beef that's hurting you. It is the processing that's hurting you. Yeah. So the more whole food, real food you can eat, your leafy greens. And I hear all the time, like, I don't like vegetables. Fine, shove it in a smoothie, cover up the, <laughs> the taste and get your veggies that way. Yeah. And then you've done it. And then your body's going to feel better for it. You're going to have the rewards and you're not going to have to taste it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Win. Yeah. I love that. I, that's fantastic. I, I totally agree with the, with the fake meats, like just read the ingredients and these ingredients are not from here. If you want a great documentary to watch, go over to Amazon and watch, um, beyond impossible by Vinny Tortorich. He covers a lot of this stuff. It's very important, but those key parameters are so important. And again, this is our mental health, our emotional health and our physical health and all of them. And I love how you've been able mm -hmm. to tie all of them together in a way that provides hope for people. I really love that you didn't just sit on this message you actually decided to become a coach yourself to be able to get out there and help other people. I think it's absolutely wonderful. So Katie, where do you want people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? And you also have some new stuff going on that sounds really exciting, something launching very soon. Can you tell us a little bit about yes. that? Yeah, so uh, you can find me at katierigley.com. So that is K-A-T-I-E-W-R-I-G-L-E-Y.com. You can book a complimentary call with me right there if you want to chat with me some more. Uh, I do want to say that I did start to ask for a deposit for that call. And the reason is I value your time and my time. And there were a lot of people that weren't really showing up. I want to talk to you if you're serious. There's plenty of ways that you can check me out if you're not ready to talk to me directly yet. I encourage you to do that. Go to my podcast, read my blogs. But if you want to talk to me one-to-one, -one, you put down a little bit of a deposit. The only way you lose it is if you don't show up on me. If you decide you're going to work with me, that goes towards your investment with me. If you give me more than 24 hours to cancel or change it, then you have honored the agreement and you'll get the deposit back. So it's the only, and if we don't want to work together, you'll get the deposit back. So it's just a way for us to stay more accountable and stay more present and really make that, that call move forward. Um, and I've also got a new video that I created that actually walks through the way the subconscious mind works. And what this looks like, it's this cheesy little guy that my assistant 
created for me in Canva. He's hilarious. He's, he's so dorky and I love it and smile every time I see it. <laughs> but it shows the way that that emotion starts to come up in the body and how it turns into a thought. And then I have a PDF to actually take action from there to really start to say, using those four areas of impact, verbal, emotional, mental, physical, to see where you are right now and where else you may need help. Like, you know, I, I mentioned that I was in an environment that wasn't safe for healing or wasn't conducive for healing. I didn't feel safe in that environment. It may have been my house, but I didn't feel safe. That was part of it. You've got to feel safe if you want to feel better. And if that is lacking in your environment, that is something that you're going to want to correct. Safety is important to all of us. That is part of that. Your subconscious mind whole job is to keep you safe and alive. So if safety is lacking, your subconscious will not be able to relax you will start to get into a state of perpetual fight or flight, which starts to feel like you've got a cattle prod attached to you at all times. This happens with people with PTSD. This happens to people with cops. Same thing. So it starts to show you, okay, like maybe I need to have more support in my life. I don't know that I really have anybody who I don't have to pay. I don't know that I have any friends that I can connect with like this. Okay, you that's not going to be a quick thing but you can start to cultivate your relationships in a way to bring that into your life. But you can't make different decisions until you're aware of what isn't working for you and what is working for you. And so the four areas are what I found the easiest way. And I use it all the time too. I'm still like, oh, I've got some anger going on. I just yelled at someone for being an idiot in traffic. I don't normally <laughs> care. All right, what's going on with me there? And then I can work backwards from there. You know, and then it's, you know, how much are you moving? What are you eating? How are you feeling after you eat? Like you said, sugar sets off your anxiety. With me, like it, it sets off heartburn. So if I eat a lot of sugar, I'm going to get heartburn. And I'm not going to like it. You know, and you, you said something interesting about anxiety too, Casey. You had said that it is your anxiety. And that's something that we tend to do at diagnoses. But what if it was just the anxiety? Yeah. What if it wasn't? Really good point. Yeah, and we but we do that. Oh, my knee pain, my depression. But when we can just say the depression, the knee pain, we make it less personal and it changes actually the feeling in the body. If you just think about anxiety as a general thing that a lot of other people deal with and you know how to not trigger yours, awesome. Yeah. But it's not your anxiety. Yeah, no, I love that. It externalizes it and puts it further outside of you. Like, like you said, like it makes it harder to really take in and personalize. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all the amazing resources. We'll make sure we tag that in the show notes. Katie Wrigley, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while and it really delivered an awesome conversation. So thank you so very much for all the work that you've done and everything that you've had to go through in your life, including jumping out of plane 151 times. <laughs> I hope you don't do that again, but thank you so very much for taking the time to be on our show. We really appreciate you. Uh, thank you, Casey. I appreciate you too. And I thank you so much for the work you do in the world. You've actually taught me a lot about different types of diets as well. You're the first person who I had heard who made me realize that meat wasn't the enemy and that you can actually have meat in your diet and it's not going to blow up your body and in inflammation. I had had no idea until wow. you told me that. So. Wow. Cool. Well, thank you very much for the kind words. I'm glad you had a few days on carnivore. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you again so very much. It was such an honor to host you. Thank you so much, Casey. It was an honor to be here. Take care. Take care. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio.
At the close of one year and the beginning of a new year, I just wanted to make sure to thank you, the listener, for all of your support and for listening to our show. 2022 was an amazing year that saw lots of growth with the podcast, but also came with amazing results with the people that we get to work with in our business, Boundless Body. We began our business during the confusion of the 2020 pandemic and opened up in July of that year. And we've been absolutely amazed with how things have gone. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of building the plane as we were flying it, but it's turned out amazing. We just absolutely love seeing our clients get amazing results. We love seeing all the great feedback and positive reviews that come through on Apple. So if you haven't already, please leave us a review there on Apple as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and impact the lives of people all over the world. We're super excited for 2023. We already have lots of great guests and topics lined up, and we have no intention of slowing down our releases anytime soon. (laughs) Also, feel free to check out our premium content, which we post on Patreon. There you will find our extended and unedited episodes, which we post on the day of recording. So you actually don't have to wait for the edited version of the podcast to release, which can sometimes be several weeks, actually. And on Patreon, you will also find the Boundless Body Radio premium podcast. This was my special project this year. I really wanted to combine all the very best clips about one topic from our show to combine into extended episodes that take a very deep dive into a topic. I've created two separate topics as a masterclass that are three episodes each. One is all about the macronutrients and the second is all about keto and ketogenic diets. That way you can get a fantastic education from some of our amazing guests in a format that can help you zero in on the topic that you are most interested in. Something I'm very proud of and believe that we are sharing this content for a very high value. Remember that you can also book a complimentary 30-minute session with us on our website at myboundlessbody.com. And thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.